All right, guys, it's time for the next Level Guy Show, a men's interview, interest, and improvement-focused podcast featuring interviews with the greats from all industries to help you better your life. Each week, a new episode features an interview with one of the greats, covering all aspects of their story, from life hacks to tips and protocols that have allowed them to live life on the next level. We then highlight concrete action steps that you can use to improve your life. And now, your host, Ian Dawson McKay. And today's guest is Matt Booth. West Coast meets Far East in an artist and jewellery designer, Matt Booth's aesthetic. While deployed to Asia as a US infantry marine, Booth found himself overwhelmed by the rich culture he experienced there. After returning to the States, Booth was introduced to the thriving silver scene in Los Angeles, California, while working at the Whiskey A Gogo on Sunset Boulevard. It was this fusion of Asian influence and obsession with custom jewellery that inspired Booth to create his own brand in 2003. With the vision of an artist and the tenacity of a marine, Matt Booth began blending the traditional Asian characters and motifs he first encountered during his tour of duty with a heavy dose of Los Angeles grit to create the conceptual backbone of Room 101. In 2009, he realised the launch of Room 101 Cigars in the early stages of the development of the craft segment of the premium tobacco space worldwide, earning Booth time and grade in this premium category as a band disruptor, and in 2017, once again in the craft spirit space with the launch of Room 101 Gin. As Booth's vision constantly evolves, the Room 101 brand has become the go-to for exceptional, custom-made pieces and craft lifestyle goods, making Room 101 a global yet underground lifestyle brand unlike any others in the market today. And in this interview, we discuss the art of creativity, building an authentic brand, how he's been so successful compared to other brands, and so much more. And now, let's get to the interview. Thank you so much for coming on. It's not often I get Josh Barnett hitting me up on Instagram, telling me I need to interview somebody. But two minutes in reading your Instagram profile, I thought, yeah, this is the guy I need on. But for the few who maybe don't recognize the name, how would you give a cliche answer to who you are? and what you have achieved in this small life that you've lived so far, because you've done an amazing amount of things, and you just keep going from strength to strength. How do you tell people who you are? You know, you know, it's kind of funny, man, as, as someone that's out there, and, and part of my job is to be proactively out there at all times, you know, um, beating the drum for our company and, and what it is that we do and what I do. Uh, I'm probably not the best at it. Um, uh, you know, it seems a little, uh, you know, uh, still, uh, you know, coming from my background, I guess you could say it still feels like, uh, to talk about oneself feels a little bit full of yourself. Right. So, you know, um, I always have a challenge, I think when it comes to identifying who it is that I actually am and what I do, I definitely would say I'm, um, a serial disruptor. I have, you know, I I've created a lifestyle brand solely from concept and continue to evolve it. Uh, I guess you would also say that I'm a serial uh, creator, you know, or a serial creative. Um, that's really kind of the, uh, I like it, you know, 
um, I guess that's how I describe it. If, if that makes sense, I don't know. You know, it's a good life when you struggle to sort of define who you are. You know, you've got like many different sort of interests and passions. I mean, you've got music, you've got the cigars, you've got the, the new line of gin, you've got your jewelry range, you know, and you've got all like your tattoos and stuff like that. And it's, I think that's what I was so, I was so keen to have you on was because you've built it from scratch. You've never gone down the, oh, I'm going to sell this because it's a fast back. I'm not going to. You know, I'm stepping on my morals because I want to do this. You've just done it your own way. You've kept it authentic. But when you were younger, you were you said you were going down a slippery slope. You were getting close to getting, you know, your collar fell and possibly go down and, you know, getting arrested. How did your sort of transition from that to the Marines to becoming the well, guy that we all know and love now happen? You know, I, I definitely wasn't, I wasn't living uh, the most positive lifestyle and I wasn't headed in the best direction. I think, I think a lot of people at that, in that period of their life are, you know, feeling the same way overcome by hormones and, uh, angst and lack of direction. You know, uh, it can be a very confusing, uh, time I think for a lot of people. And I think for a lot of people, you know, I, I always say I survived myself, you know, I survived that period of my life. I made some decisions to, aggressively reboot and reroute my life's direction almost instantaneously. Um, you know, kind of coming to the understanding that, you know, my future probably was not so shiny and bright and needed to reboot. I saw the Marine Corps, um, and specifically the infantry, uh, enlistment as an option to do so. And, you know, probably quietly, uh, in the back of my mind, I probably understood in some, to some degree that I probably needed, you know, my head to be removed from my own ass or possibly arse as you might uh, call it over there with that vernacular. Um, <laughs> but, uh, that's, that's what I did. I pulled the plug, I pulled the ejector lever, uh, ejection lever, and I enlisted in the Marine Corps infantry. And within a week of making that decision, I was, uh, you know, on a, on a plane, uh, going back to San Diego to begin boot camp. And do you think this our military helped you kind of like cow all the, the BS you were doing and just made you kind of realize and forge, you know, your sort of true authentic self? Because I think a lot of guys are like that, you know, it's like, oh, I was a bad little shit when I was younger. That means I can't mm -hmm. do anything now. And I think uh, I've had uh, quite a few people on recently who have shown that, you know, you can be a, a tearaway and still change your life. And I think it's trying to get people to realize that, that they can change their life on a whim. You know, they just need to, to get over it. How did you kind of make that transition, do you think? Uh, well, I mean, the Marine Corps gave me four years, right? It gave me four years to, uh, you know, four years of aggressive removal from life as I knew it. Um a tremendously, let's just call it over, overbearing amount of structure and instruction. And, uh, you know, I think it gave me, it gave me time to, to grow up, man. It, it, it debited me from, from, I guess you'd call it civilian life for a period of four years and, and really gave me that time frame to, to process and reset. And, and I, I, to this day, I remember vividly the moment that I realized like, okay, I'm, I'm ready to go back. I'm ready to go back to life and do something productive with myself. And I, I remember that moment vividly, you know, and 
Um, and it just so happened that directly trailing out of my enlistment, one of my staff sergeants, uh, Darren Bibbs, that had, I think, looked out for us the most during our enlistment, um, had gone to work for a boutique executive protection firm in Los Angeles uh, called Gavin DeBecker and Associates. And they made a habit of hiring uh, Marines, specifically infantry, I think because of you know, our level of tolerance for hours and uh, being able to function with exhaustion and things of that nature effectively with exhaustion. And, and I, uh, although I had lost touch with him momentarily, I remembered that that's where he was going to work. And so I did a little research and got in touch with that firm. And, you know, the, the day after I, I left active duty, I was, I was retained by that firm as a, uh, basically as a bodyguard. It, I mean, it was quite a career path. I mean, you did a lot of sort of like grafting jobs when you were younger. But I loved that thing that you said that, you know, your eyes were always open. You were always watching like the performers and the top performers you worked with, looking at them for what made them tick, what what techniques and habits. That, and, you know, you analyze the top performers. Habits and for sure. How habits. did you see... How did you see that? Like, what was it that you were looking for people and what kind of habits did you adopt that you kind of used in your sort of going forward? Because you had the graft, you had the creativity. What is it that you thought you think you needed at that point to become well, the mat that you become? Well, I mean, look, all of these things built off of the previous foundation. This was all evolutionary. And after I got out, I took that job uh, in executive protection, but I also did many things. I did sound and lighting. Um, almost on an apprenticeship level, basically at the Whiskey, which is a, a known venue in Los Angeles, a music venue. Um, I interned uh, on my own time at two different record labels, one major and one independent, because I wanted the contrast in experience, you know, and also, of course, you know, uh, played bass in several different bands and got accustomed to also uh, shouldering a, a consistent rehearsal schedule while holding these different things together the best I could. And uh, I think my greatest influences that I would come to understand were much later on, as it, I guess they would say, uh, sunk in, if you would, you know, were some of the clients that I worked for and provided security for uh, in, in the early 2000s. You know, they were the, the, the heads of major entertainment companies, record labels, uh, uh, public personalities, things of that nature. And, you know, the one thing, although the intimates of their and intricacies of their personal personalities were unique, just as all people are, there were some, some universal, uh, some universal traits that all of them shared without question. And one of them was that they were up before the sun, properly exercised, and on the phone with the East Coast by the time the East Coast woke up. And then they were gone uh, to handle their day-to-day as it was. And then they were back typically after the sun had gone down. And this was a constant every day, every week, forever into perpetuity. They were animals, like nonstop. And I, you know, at the time in the beginning, I remember thinking like, being a person that had only at the time worked for other people, mind you, I thought I would never give that much of myself to someone else. 
you know, and, and that I believe it was that thought really was the genesis for what I couldn't illustrate at the time, but what I would tell you now was entrepreneurial pursuit to create my own, uh, path in life and in business. Yeah. It's definitely missing from a lot of people. You know, I think life's got too easy. One of my pet things of saying is, um, you know, we can order a date online. You can order food to your door. You can order somebody come and pick right. you up from your door. You know, we, right. we don't need, we don't have the challenges. We don't have the wars that we used to have. So what was the point that you thought, okay, I can actually t- work for myself. Do you think there's certain parameters that indicate if you're an employee versus an employer? or an entrepreneur even, you know, was there something that made you think I could go on my own now? Well, I mean, I, you know, although we're not face to face, you know, we are fiber optically connected and and you, sir, are sitting directly across from one of the most stubborn people you have ever encountered in your entire life. I'll guarantee you that. And I think that. Yeah, I haven't met my dad. (laughs) Well, look, man, we're out there. It's not, you know, unique to only me. But it's definitely a character trait that over the years I have, of course, you are never a master. We are in a game of, of we're in a game where no one is a, a master, but you begin to do your best to get a handle on and, and, and at least try to, uh, you know, master uh, these elements. And I, I've tried to leverage that element of my personality to best serve me in my business endeavors and, and pursuits. Right. To, you know, when, when people ask me, you know, I think because I think the picture, you know, that this picture has been built in over 20 years, you know, none of this happens overnight. And so while I've been quietly in the woodshed, continuing to foster the growth of my brand and my craft, plural, right. You know, um, you know, some, at some point I pop up on someone's radar and they think that, you know, my brand came out of nowhere. Right. Uh, but it's quite frankly, very much the opposite. You know, I think uh, a good friend of mine said it best. He said, you know, you're going to be the most amazing overnight success, 15 to 20 years in the making. If he's right, then we're right on, we're right about on track. And now I'm on your show. So there you go. I always love that sort of thing. It's like, it's like messy. You know, I was the overnight sensation. I've only mm-hmm. been doing it for like 18 odd years, you know, like training every day for it. Oh, and yeah. I mean, that I mean something I was very keen to have you on. The reason was because you were very authentic. You know, you've you've said in your story, you know, that you you never got a, a hand up. You never went after the cheap sale. You never followed like what the masses were doing. You know, like hawking the belly fat uh, removal tea or the, you know, the, like the, making the easy. I mean, you just stayed to your creative sort of outlook and you followed your identity and you know you didn't follow societal pressures. Probably a better way of putting it. How do you think people can start doing that? You know, find their own style and not chase what the masses are doing? Because you seem to be, everything about you is authentic and it's you as a person put into a, into a culture, into a business. How, how did you do that? How can, you, how can we tap into that own level in ourselves? That's an interesting proposition because I would completely agree with you. You know, my, my brand and my branded products are effectively a, a, a direct output from myself. It's almost like you're mainlining me 
in product form, right? Or, or philosophically in brand form, right? Mm. And, uh, you know, one of my greatest, um, I think, strengths and weaknesses simultaneously is an obscene amount of honesty. And uh, it has not done me the greatest favors uh, in business when it comes to negotiation, right? Uh, because I just want what I want and I want other people to operate fairly and transparently, which, you know, this is like a veritable minefield of, of behavior that's less than that constantly, you know? Um, but I believe that that's how my message th- sings through in everything that I do because it's very raw and it's very real and everything is done in accordance to my touch directly. Um, and I think that that's why, you know, our brand and our products reek of authenticity because they are. And did you struggle at all with like going from employee to entrepreneur, you know, because I think we get that sort of fear that people kind of go, Oh no, you're going to get laughed at. No, don't be silly. No one will buy it. And I've noticed a lot of top performers feel it anyway, but will do it. You know, they kind of understand the fear is always going to be there, but they're just going to go, ah, fuck it. You know, I may as well just go for it. I'm still, life's going to pass by anyway. How did you kind of, did you feel that fear? Or were you sort of so confident in your sort of creative journey that you just knew you were going to connect to like-minded people who are looking for that in their lives? Well, I think a lot of it, you have to have faith. You have to have faith in yourself and the direction that you are setting out upon. Because I felt very early on, I said, I have this brand concept that in many ways as a multi-category, multi-class brand was very much inspired by um, the Alfred Dunhill of 1950, 1960 timeframe, you know, uh, however done completely with my twist, my direction, uh, and a and a completely different flavor and aesthetic dressing, you know the the skeletal structure nomenclature of this brand was inspired by Alfred Dunhill, in in, in many ways, not in entirely, but in many ways, and uh, I felt that very strongly that I was going to create something and compose something that was so attractive that someday someone else would want it and want to partner with me in a greater way right? To take my message further than I could on my own. Um, and, you know, you never know. Opportunities like that could lie right around the corner at this point for us. But but uh, I was terrified simultaneously because I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, other than I knew what I was doing in terms of my dedication to building the brand. But I had no industry connection in any industry that I've, I've ever entered into. And many of them are craft-based and there's a, you know, a system of gatekeepers in place to actually keep new participants out, right? So it's not even that you just want to saunter in somewhere and, and try to, you know, uh, activate uh, your creative impulses related to a new craft. There's actually people that are actively working or in some cases, uh, regulation that's actively working to keep you out, right? So... Um, uh, I've basically fought my way into all those spaces. I don't know if that adequately answers your question. I feel like I'm rambling a little bit, but I feel like I'm covering it simultaneously. 
No, I mean, that's what my my tagline for this podcast should be. I ramble like hell. <laughs> I mean, that's it's something I'm I'm always keen to speak to people who have done it themselves, you know, like, because we hear this, like, guys who multi-billionaires and they're talking about how they established their companies and you think they're so far away from what it actually was that they probably can't remember all the stuff they did, you know, all the, all the fixes, all the kind of hacks and tips that mm-hmm. could change somebody starting out now and you've always done it your own way you've you know you've used your sort of asian influence to help your jewelry design you've gone and found the products and you've worked only with companies that have your sort of ethical kind of considerations and outlook how did you find like with skills gaps you know and like um, knowledge kind of gaps how did you find the right people to start making these connections and networking and how did you find that initial kind of you know, like you were maybe, did you get screwed over at all? Or did you find that yeah. when you spoke, <laughs> people were, you weren't business speaking at start or, you know, what kind, what was the journey like for you? Look, man, uh, a lot of lessons that anyone is ever going to learn in their path in building their own business are going to be pain-based learning evolutions. And many times that pain is financial or being put on the underside of a deal right in in the art of deal making um i have fought through a great deal of things that i feel would have terminated even uh a more uh viable contenders uh will to continue or ability to continue based on um you know how the pendulum would swing for them in any specific uh set of arrangements that they might have made for their business right So, um, one by one, you know, continuing to, uh, with tireless effort, continue to, um, put myself out there and our brand out there. Um, ultimately people begin to come, right? I mean, it sounds corny as fuck, but you know, the saying, if you build it, they will come isn't exactly false, you know, um, you have to have the right, the right nucleus. You have to have the right message, but even people with phenomenal brands fail miserably. You know, it has to be, you know, they say, you know, there's a saying, you know, right place, right time. Right. And somebody just hits it because they're in the right place, right time. Well, you know, yes, that's true, but there are other critical elements in that equation too. Like you could say right place, right time, right person, right place, right time, right brand, right. There's this other, uh, element that's critical and that's the operator i think many times because i mean your product line is awesome you know it's like awesome quality and i loved how you you've talked about how you took your you sort of personalized your products from the 1950s but gave them a modern sort of twist and Mm -hmm. do you think covid has kind of brought about a realization people now that you know we need to have more sort of home comforts and you know i kind of see them in the um, you know, like the Don Draper kind of sitting there with the the scotch, and you know the sitting having the smoking cigar. I could easily see your products fitting in those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. But then when I look at your media, you've got the cool graphics, but you've still got the classy and classic kind of boxes for the cigars, or the gin looks like it could fit into any kind of bar, any kind of time period. 
how do you go about creating that, like got that feel, but bringing a modern twist, that contemporary sort of flair added to it? I, I love to, I love to touch product. I love, um, it's, it's one of my, one of my most favorite components of everything that I do is creating trade dress for our products, right. And creating, uh, their outward or aesthetic representation, if you will, really creating a stance or a command presence for them is really what it is. Um, because I think that presentation, uh, presentation communicates personality and I like my products to communicate a uniform, uh, personality or, or, you know, physical representation of our brand as a whole, you know, um, I kind of have a knack for it, you know, and there are a lot of things that I do that connect people to our products in a way that, that generate their willingness or eagerness to transact for those products. And I think that that's key. You know, um, you see a lot of shortfall, uh, out there as it applies to anyone's product design, you know, some, and then some people like absolutely fucking nailed it. Like Apple, like the, the way that they're, you know, their products look and packaging has sold all of their products for them. This functionality is almost secondary, right? No, definitely. I mean, when you look, when you get a box rubble, you can, they've got teams that actually work on how it's going to open and how it's going to look to somebody, just the packaging, oh, yeah. never mind like what the phone's going to do. And, you know, mm-hmm. and you think like the level of detail that when I look at like, you know, your social media, your websites and things like that. And I see reviews and um, journal pieces on you. Every time I've seen somebody wearing a bit of your jewelry, they're all from different ranges, different ages, different gender, um, genders, different kind of like social, di- um, oh, yeah. social economic groups and stuff like that. But 100%. it all looks like it fits them. And it, you know, and it's the same with the gin. It's the same with cigars. It's people who like the classy cigars, but people who like the modern ones, people who like the variety, the the difference in their life. Everybody seems to fit in to your brand, and I love that community you've established with it. How do you go about that? Like, how do you go about creating a tribe? Is it like you said, you just create every day, and you just people will come and find you, or what have you learned about marketing by doing this kind of approach? Well, look, man, I mean, I have always been, and even, you know, personally before I was, uh, I was about to say a professional person and then I stopped myself cause I, I don't want to get carried away, uh, calling myself a professional, <laughs> but, but, you know, I have always been completely and totally universally inclusive, you know, all are welcome in my house, period. You know, unless you're a cocksucker, then you can stay outside, but it's, it's, uh, I, I, you know, I am, uh, universally welcoming and my brand carries that philosophy through me, you know, that channels through me as well. So community and culture uh, related to room 101, albeit underground in nature, I think, um, in many ways, um, you know, is reflective, I think best when we get together, for example, for brand functions, right? Like if we have a brand after party, you know, uh, after one of the fashion shows or the cigar shows, you know, if you walked around the, the typically would be like in a club or, or like a very high end, you know, uh, smoking club. But I mean, from table to table, you would see such vast difference in the dynamics between the people that you would almost 
question whether, whether or not they could even get along, right? Like they would definitely not, you would not associate them with each other on, uh, you know, upon cursory inspection on what they look like. Right. But this is far more, has far more to do about who they are as people and their tastes and interests rather than what they look like. Right. Because that's just their packaging. That's their personal trade dress, right? That's their, their aesthetics, right? But they have an affinity for something a little bit more special than pedestrian, something, you know, that they're someone that, you know, maybe even if they couldn't afford it, that they would aspire to have a custom made suit versus an off the rack, just to relate it to a clothing item. You know, um, these are people with specialty interests, uh, whether it be, you know, uh, a whiskey collection, or maybe they like to fly fish, you know, it's just something off the beaten path of normalcy and has a specialty twist to it that I think is the key genetic component in the person that could potentially find their way into some level of enchantment with our brand. Because I remember reading a few things and it said that, you know, you moved away from the exhibitions, the stage, the, you know, the kind of industry stage shows, you, you went and found like the nightclub sense, like you're talking about, you know, you had the parties that kind of brought people together. And mm -hmm. I, I can't remember where I read it, but you'd said you wanted Room 101 to be the, like a house that nobody was rejected from, that everybody was welcomed. And I love that approach, that kind of look. And you've certainly built that brand. But you've said that, um, I think it was in an uh, interview, I can't remember the exact one, you said, creation is the vice that I support via commercialization. Can you go into a little bit about that? I mean, yeah, no, oh, you did. I love, you, I love you, the quote. You looked me up a little bit, huh? Okay, that sounds like something. Oh, I, I'm I'd a say. stalker, man. I'm telling you. Well, I like. Well, you know, now we have the internet, so it's you know, you can be my own personal NSA agent any day. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, that's exactly true, and that's a sentiment that I have expressed, I think, multiple times. It's like I love the creative process, whether it's package design, uh, sitting, uh, with one of the master blenders that I work with at the, at one of the many cigar factories I work with and collaboratively composing a blend formula that's non-traditional, but still very pleasing and, in, and, and intriguing, um, taking a, a twist on not only a, uh, uh, you know, tr the traditional craft of jewelry making, but even, you know, when we started, you, you could say, you know, that it was, uh, you know, done in the vein of a, you know, more air quotes biker style, but it was done with all these Japanese deities. And then we, and then again, morphed into more of a, a modern design direction. I love to make shit. I love to make shit. I have ideas that have kept me awake for so many years that I don't even have the years, the time to, to execute them, you know, within my own lifetime at this point. And so I sell what I make to continue to support my creative vice, right? So I, so I, I said, fuck it. If I'm going to do this, I might as well at least attempt or make best efforts to make a living from it. Well, I love that. Um, I, I mean, I'm really intrigued, like how deep and sort of analytical and 
sort of introspective you go with a lot of it, you know, like on your social media, it really makes you think. You know, you can take it as kind of cool, hip, look at the pictures, look at the, the quality of the products, or you can actually get really into it and really think about things. And I love how, like, just listening to interviews with you, your social media matches your interview style, matches the videos I've seen, matches on the other people's social media. Mm-hmm. What we get is you in a company oh, form, in a brand form. And I love that. It's it's so rare to see. I mean, have you noticed like a, a movement over the last sort of 10, 20 years now that consumers, I hate myself for using these kind of phrases, are now getting fed up of these kind of big companies. They want to know the story, be part of the movement to mm-hmm. have a kind of a rebirth for high quality products, but yeah, know where it's come from, know the story. Well, look, man, I mean, it's no secret the way we make things is not the way that you should be going about manufacturing products. If you were going to commercialize them at volume, right? We do it technically how you're not supposed to do it. If you want to make, um, you know, volume level, uh, uh, moves with your business. I mean, they, they say, uh, what, what do they say? They say, uh, you sell to the rich, you eat with the masses, you sell to the masses, you eat with the rich. Right. And so, um, awesome. But I think more and more, uh, and I have noticed this, and obviously this is my business to notice it. I would have to echo your sentiments. I would say that it's been a consistent shift and a movement to where there are people that greatly appreciate the often the currency of authenticity. If it's, if it's flowing through a brand or a product and, you know, some of them are even, um, getting to a point where, you know, they feel, and, and maybe this isn't something they could illustrate outwardly, but I think this is something maybe, uh, a little bit more on the subconscious tip with some people. I think that they feel a responsibility to invest into, um, brand entities and companies that, that could be considered air quotes, real deal or family owned or human owned and not just like, uh, you know, a sterile synthetic, uh, mass corporation type situation. Right. And, and I saw that, I saw that a lot. I saw that amplified, um, during, uh, the period where COVID was hitting, you know, the restrictions and the lockdowns were hitting the heaviest people that were, you know, engaging in what I feel is a little bit of escapism type spending with us were doing so because they knew that, that our brand is, is a true craft brand. And a, and a family-owned um, and family-operated business. Because, uh, I mean, COVID was certainly one of those times I think people realized, like, you know, this facade of bullshit that we hold, you know, like celebrities like the Kardashians and all how stupid all that is and what matters now. And I think that's kind of realizing that we want the home comforts, but we also want to have a product that we can be proud of, that we can be part of it, like you're saying, and it's, it's difficult to kind of look at some of these companies now and see what they've been doing over these years and letting people go on a whim to keep their money high. And, you know, it's like, I think we're definitely now looking for companies that can do this, but how did COVID shape your business? Cause you would have had a massive surge for people wanting the, you know, having a drink at night, having a smoke, having the, like a little kind of pick me up, like maybe buying one of your jewelry ranges, et cetera. How did you find that also compared to 
you would have maybe had difficulty getting in stock to make the items. Maybe manufacturers were like slow production because they had st- so many staff off or restrictions mm-hmm. and, you mm-hmm. know, like the safe distances. How did you find that juggling of extra demand, but maybe tighter kind of abilities to get stock in, et cetera, when you needed it? Well, you know, all of that, all of the aforementioned elements that you just rattled off were all happening simultaneously. You know, we manufacture our jewelry product in our studios in, at the corner of 7th and Broadway, downtown Los Angeles, where we've been making them for 20 years, you know, uh, on the same production floor that I apprenticed, you know, so, and learned basic bench uh, and casting skills. Now, during the initial stages of COVID lockdown, our entire building that we operate out of, we were locked out of for uh, six to eight weeks. You know, and so we make everything to order. Like we don't stock an inventory, it's ordered and then we manufacture it and deliver it to the client. And so I said, as it relates to our jewelry business, I said, how does the made to order brand survive when we can't effectively make to order? And so what we did is we launched our, our uh, uh, basically like our, our vault uh, collection, which, you know, over 20 years, we had amassed a, a, a pretty impressive cachet of prototype samples, things that never became production or were modified when they went, became an actual production model or, you know, um, uh, custom pieces that we had done um, for folks that had, uh, you know, exchanged or had them modified. And, and they were done in such a way that I had to rebuild the entire piece, you know. Um, and so we had, you know, diamond pieces, gold pieces, I mean, a, a, a treasure trove of items and we sold them all. We sold them all as, as, you know, this is one off, uh, you know, studio sample. It's only available in this size, this length, etc. And we sold it all. Just thinking of like the, uh, the bronze gun that you made, the replica of the Glock. Oh yeah. 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 It was super badass, man. And, and of course, during that time, I had a lot of, uh, of extra time to pursue other design um, uh, desires, right? Uh, that bronze Glock was one of many things that I had ideas for. And just honestly, kind of when you're triaging your time, at the end of the day, didn't have time, you know? And so I was able to really play and do do a lot more in the, in the design and creative uh departments that I normally do. You know, if you, if you, if you flip over to tobacco, you know, um, there was an explosive surge in consumption in the premium tobacco category and spirit category. I mean, the off premise business because restaurants and bars were closed. So the only things that were open were, were grocery stores, liquor stores, et cetera. You know, the, the alcohol, the spirit business had a surge uh, of over 400% in 2020, you know, in sales, in growth with half of the places that they normally pipe their products through closed, you know, um, and the tobacco business, uh, they experienced, we as an industry and as a community experienced a a boom in our industry that the last time we had seen any surge in business of that caliber was in the nineties, you know? So, uh, for, like I, like I refer to it as escapism spending or uh, escapism based products, 
uh, COVID was nothing short of completely explosive. And of course, simultaneously, in the same breath, my heart goes out to, you know, my friends in the restaurant business and people mm. that, that uh, suffered, you know, um, because of what was going on. A lot of those people, of course, uh, you know, with the entrepreneurial spirit morphed and pivoted into other directions. And, you know, I think there were a great deal of businesses that were born out of this period as well. Side hustles or or uh, pet projects that actually got, you know, got to take pole position in people's lives. And they realized a year later, oh, wait, I, I've already replaced my monthly income um, that I had to go work for someone else to earn. You know, some of your other sentiments, I mean, you talk about companies discarding people um, quickly and whatnot. I mean, I, I think I think it's long since been verified and understood that, you know, in the 1950s, employers took care of their employees and vice versa. And, and you know, if you dedicated your life to a company, uh, you would be taken care of, you know, um, that world dissolved underneath our feet in the 80s, you know, long that's long since been gone. You know, um, although we operate our company very differently at Room 101, you know, we're definitely not Pepsi Cola. You know, I can only affect yeah. a very small, uh, a very small community of people, but we do operate our business, I think, a bit differently and take care of our people differently. Um, but uh, that's the exception, not the rule today. It's time for a quick break. There are millions of potential products to buy, so how do you know which ones are worth your hard-earned money? Simple. You go to nextlevelguy.com affiliates and explore those that will transform and improve your life. You'll find deals, listener exclusives, and special offers with some great companies. Recommendations are 100% honest and only on items Ian has tried or believes in. The companies showcased will make you a better man in all areas of your life. Simply go to nextlevelguy.com slash affiliates and level up. It's maybe something that the world needs more of. It's like the old-fashioned values of business with a modern twist like you're doing with like with your products. I mean, it's it certainly it was great to see. And I loved how, like, in your Instagram, you talk about, like, how you like to create every day. You know, there's pictures of you in the in the the room where you're like the lab where you're making and you know, you're mm -hmm. tweaking and you're surrounded by tools and all that sort of stuff. But I get the impression, like, I think you said you would never leave if they did lock the door, like chase you out and lock the door. How did you then go from the creative small businessman to making the lifestyle brand, but realize, you know, and getting the uncool stuff done, like finding the tax, the guy that does the taxes, the accounting, finding the the team, the leadership. How did you find about putting all that together to make this lifestyle brand and not just something that, you know, you can sell a piece of here or there to pay for your for your music career, but actually to think, I can make this into a platform to start changing things? Yeah. How well, did you I mean, make that transition? Well, I mean, that, that transition, I think if, if I was to be very open and honest with you, I think that that, uh, although, you know, I'm in a constant state of learning and, and absorption, uh, you know, that transitory state, I don't think ever stops. I think you're more in a constant state of evolution. You know, you surround yourself uh, with people 
of a certain caliber is a byproduct of the moves that you're making. And, you know, one person will refer you to their accountant. Their accountant will refer you to a lawyer. That lawyer will refer you to a, a tax attorney that, but, you know, and it's like, and, and you, you know, as a, as much as I am a creative director and I am uh, a conductor really for all of our products in terms of their design and uh, structure of collections and, you know, uh, you know, uh, even the design of our product programming and, and how we, uh, you know, address and, and, uh, support our retail partners. You know, um, I am also a, you know, I also leverage creativity on a daily basis in terms of the way the business is managed on the back end. You know, this is, this is a full blown creative exercise, you know, and we offer, uh, category, uh, product categories, uh, cohesively as a, as a house brand that no one else in the entire world does at the level that we have our products commercialized, uh, unless there's something going on that I'm not aware of. And I think I would be aware of it. There is no other brand in the world like ours. And, and it's for good reason because it's fucking difficult, man. Like there are, there are, for example, uh, regulations in the, in the EU that prevent, a brand, uh, they call them brand sharing regulations and you're, and you're prohibited from selling a tobacco product or a tobacco accessory, tobacco related product that carries the same brand as another product and vice versa. They can't share, but there are ways to tailor your branding to accommodate cohesion. Right. And so, Hmm. uh, you know, and that's, and that's how we, uh, and companies like Davidoff are able to operate uh, in, in multiple categories in the EU. Right. Uh, and I don't believe we're that far off from, from regulation like this being, um, activated in the United States as well. You know, so, so our business is completely tailored in a way that accommodates these things. And that's, and, and that in itself is, is a creative exercise. And when you're sort of creating this as a lifestyle brand and, you know, you're kind of, you're now looking at this as a sort of platform to change lives as much, you know, because I, I noticed that with a lot of top performers, they like to look and go, how can I delegate this? How can I find the people to fill in these gaps and let me do what I need to do to find the people that can do X, Y, Z. But how then do you think, okay, I need to go on to the next part of this? Like, you know, you, you brought in a new gin, for example. Mm-hmm. Yep. How do you look at this? Like, what's your metrics for success in terms of, are you caring about that? I know you have to have a, some sort of level of care to it, but like, I'm assuming it's impact of the brand of the new gen compared to the numbers sold, or are you having to kind of balance that on the cost balance of units sold versus products bought? Or what's your brands for, how do you measure the metrics for success well, first and foremost, after securing, uh, and and I'll and I'll uh, correlate this directly to our our craft spirit effort. You know, after I've secured the product exactly how I want it to be, and I have found the manufacturing partners that I believe to be our our long term manufacturing partners for that category. Um, now it's to gauge whether or not my gauge on success is whether or not it hits. Right. And so we, 
opened distribution in the state of Arizona and conducted a launch event at a, at a cigar bar called Fox Cigar Bar. Shout out to our longtime supporters there. And uh, I wanted to see how the product was received by our core and existing core customers in that community, right? And quite frankly, gin is stereotypically understood to be the anti-spirit for a cigar smoking experience. My twist on its formula and, and uh, my direction of it was that we were going to build a gin that was, in fact, very complementary to a smoking experience, which we have accomplished, right? So, but the proof is in the pudding, as they say. So uh, I watched over the course of the evening the retailer be completely cleaned out of product. Um, nice. And I have uh, a, a friend of mine uh, that I work with um, a, as a partner in that, in that component of our business. And he hails from the alcohol business specifically. And I, re- and I had no gauge on exactly how successful the pull through of the product was that evening because, you know, uh, in my tenure in the cigar business, I'm used to selling quite a bit of volume if I actually show up and conduct an in-store activation uh, to promote our brand. And we had sold, it was something like eight to 10 cases of of the alcohol, right? And so we had sold, I don't know, about 60, 60 bottles, right? And I asked him, I said, hey, do you feel this was successful? And he turned to me and says, I have never seen anything like this in my fucking life. He said, if I had gone out and conducted a tasting at retail with previous brand projects, I would have been over the moon if I had sold two bottles. Two. And I said, okay, this shit works. That's verified. So now we, now we begin to scale, right? Proof of concept is established. And through my lens, understood to be a success. And, and this will hit. This will work. Now we need to scale. Now we need to achieve new uh, outlets for distribution in key states that we can align uh, the other categories that we're already operating in with this product and and help create a, an environment where there's a, a rising tide that will raise all ships simultaneously. So if you want to ask me how I gauge success, I think initially it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a, gut, a, a gut radar based process, but I also you know, 20 years in this game, I, I can understand very, very quickly what works and what doesn't. I love that way of looking at it, that kind of, you're going and actually seeing it in real time. You know, you're, you're not just looking at a spreadsheet and saying, oh, I, we sold 200 units. You know, you're actually going and seeing the reaction of your core customers. And then you're kind of, you know, you're building a kind, you're using them to be part of the journey as well. So you're bringing yes. them into it. And something I did notice on your social media was every time you had a picture up of something, people were like, oh, you're just near me. Oh, come and have a smoke with me. Oh, let's yeah. go and get some yeah, bottles yeah. together. You know, you've got such a great sort of community and socialness there. How do you mm-hmm. break into what's a crowded market and make your, you know, like build a community around your mm-hmm. products and make it social to use your products yeah. and as a community and bring people together? Because not a lot well, of brands can do that. Well, no, and they can't. And I, and, and I got to be very honest with you. I have seen many come and many go in the time that I have remained in business. And it's because they lack 
one element or another, or there's misstep. You know, there are, you know, there are, are tragedies in deal-making where people disadvantage themselves to a point where they can no longer operate in that space. I've seen it, you know, but I think for the most part, you know, uh, I think for the most part, people are just lacking one or more key elements, you know, in, in their, as it relates to their brand and their product. Now, granted, when I came into, as an example, when I came into the premium tobacco segment, I was one of the first three to five operators to be offering a craft or boutique branded product. So although at the time I was the newest addition to a small cast of characters and the youngest, you know, if you fast forward, if you turn the clock forward three to four years and look back over your shoulder, I was one of the original players that was working to carve out an entirely new segment of a marketplace globally. Right. So in that amount of time, while I was fighting to build my brand and my business in that space, you know, it's like there was blood in the water. You know, now this is, now this is a proven concept, proof of concept. This works like the boutique trend was activated. Uh, craft brands were having their own micro boom within that industry. And so then people start flocking to the business as they see the opportunity. Right. But, you know, there comes a point where there's saturation and a lot of these brands slough off like dead skin. And typically the people that remain are the first, you know, first three to five really viable players, you know, and, and you'll always have people that come in after the drawbridge is up and introduce a viable concept and remain. But if you're talking about power through time and grade, which I think is a, a devastatingly powerful element for any brand, you know, um, and something that can never be stripped from you. It's so the time that you've been operating in the space. Um, I've, I've leveraged that to our advantage as well. And, and that's ultimately what's helped us that, that, that amount of time is what's given me, uh, afforded me the time to make from handshake to handshake, from door to door, from, uh, you know, virtual hangout to virtual hangout to, uh, you know, all this hand-to-hand combat level marketing stuff has has allowed me to build a, a, a real rapport with people on a, on a very individualized basis. And those people are the that, foundation of all the pull-through of all of our products. Because that definitely comes across in your thing, is this brand is an extension of you. It's your kind of beliefs, your attitudes, your identity. And, you know, you're selling yourself as much as you're selling your company, you know, the, the brand and people are kind of connecting with you as much as the, the products. Well, we'll definitely got to do a round two because I think we're just getting into this because I want to find out more about you as a person as much as the business. But you wrote on Instagram where you said, make sure to take notes along the way. Someday your story will become someone's survival guide. I love that. I love that way of looking at it as you'll be inspiring the next generation of entrepreneurs to do this authentically and truthfully. How do you think, like, how should we review our journey? And do you use these podcasts as a way of kind of looking at how far you've come and use them as a platform to, to chase and become better for the next step in your life? Do you think? Well, I mean, I look, you and I connecting is a, a byproduct uh, of an introduction from a very dear friend of mine and a longtime believer in what I do, uh, Josh. 
you know, and, and, you know, this, you are one of the first people that I've, I've reached out to with the sentiment that I need to do better to get our brand message out there. And I need to, I need to, to make better efforts because you can be all consumed with the work, which I typically am, you know, and mm-hmm. I try to do my best, but there's only so much I can do. And there's only so much bandwidth that I personally have and the work must be done, you know, and promotion is part of the work, but many times, uh, promotional efforts will take a backseat to just the day-to-day management of operations, sales, you know, consumer outreach. I mean, you name it. Right. So, um, uh, I think they could, I mean, if I, if I had the time to go back and kind of like, uh, revisit interviews over the years, I think, you know, you would probably hear me growing up before your, you know, eyes and ears, depending uh, if there was video uh, affiliated with it. Um, I do think that they're good, uh, time markers as simultaneously. I think that, um, you know, my mission is, is changing to be more inclusive of continuous press outreach at this point. So like maybe that's reflective of more growth. I don't know. Because something I really liked was how you seem to have changed from your very first post on Instagram to the current post. You know, you're very much the same person throughout. There's no kind of like, oh, look at me. I'm now I'm, you know, like suited and booted compared to the, the guy in the track suit. You know what I mean? Like you you are still the same person. You've grown and I you've expanded. Get a track suit. I think they're dope. <laughs> I mean, I love... I love how much you kind of give out in your social media and you kind of like an insight into your life. And you talked about how your like your wife and your children were the sort of like saved your life. And you've got a beautiful family. And how do you kind of, how do you look at that? And how do you juggle being the the father, being the husband? Because you've got some great friends and bonds with people and that. How do you juggle that with running the business, being an entrepreneur, and all the other 9,000 things you're probably doing at the same time. Well, look, man, while, you know, while you have 17 plates spinning, right. One is always falling no matter what you do, you know, and, um, part of it is having an amazing, uh, amazingly attentive and tight knit team around you to help you carry the torch. Right. When the time comes to expand, you know, um, you know, I would, I would say that my family comes first and they do. However, there are times that my family waits because they are also part of this mission, right? And they don't wait as if I push them off. They are on standby to resume full family activity or they're on the road with me and they're in, uh, entertain themselves while I'm at a business function. And then we will reconnect and be together again, you know, because they are also a support mechanism for me and believe in what I'm doing um, and understand it's for our family. Well, uh, very well put. I mean, yes. So how do you, have you used any of your sort of military kind of habits of juggling um, sort of demands or, you know, is it just like, your your discipline getting up and like you're saying getting up before it gets light putting the graft in day in day out getting it done and just trying to keep your plates juggling as much as you can 
I mean, honestly, yes. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's a free for Okay, I'm sorry. No, it's an absolute bloodbath. But what I will tell you is that I've also been making, I mean, this is kind of appropriate that today you and I would be speaking on what is referred to as the Next Level Guy podcast because I'm currently involved in brokering a next level arrangement um, for our business, you know, and one that I think will be very empowering and one that I believe, obviously I wouldn't be pursuing it if I didn't believe in it wholeheartedly, but also something that will be reflective of the next level in that specific industry as well. The beginnings of a new chapter in terms of, of level game in that world. So, you know, and, and this will be empowering for all other facets of my business and afford me in theory, because you know what they say, you know, but, but we would hope in theory to afford me more time to focus on, um, creative endeavors and my family simultaneously. So we'll see. forward to seeing what that is. Because I yeah. think this is just the start of a, a beautiful friendship. I mean, just two minutes in, I was like, this guy would be awesome to sit down and have a pint with, go and, you know, go and shoot the shit, but also create stuff and talk about branding. And, you know, I, I could just see the sort of passion and the intensity you have and everything. I was like, this guy's awesome. And when I was looking at him, um, I like, oh, can never pr- pronounce his surname, Guy Freire. Freire? Oh, oh, yeah. Fuck. Yeah, yeah. That's and you've boy. got like Josh Barnett's friends, and yeah. I was like, I could just see you two sitting chilling while he's talking about uh, setting up his blood sports and all that um, mm-hmm. promotion. And I was just like, of course, this guy's getting on. I'm, he's awesome. And then two minutes in, I was like, Nah, we've got to do a few of these. These this oh. guy's awesome. And but- look, these guys appreciate what I do because they are also respectors of craft, and also have their own craft that they have been craft or crafts rather that they have been honing over the period of their lifetime. Right. So it's game recognized game with those guys. Josh is a, a huge craft product enthusiast, you know, and, and has respect for the process. You know, I think he, it, I think it was whiskey. He was asking about when we did the interview, I'd love to have him back on. We were talking about yeah. all sorts, you know, he, he has a whiskey project, uh, I believe. So you you remember when we were talking earlier there about um you were saying like you know take notes because someday your story will inspire others. How do you want people until we can get us around two and really go into the nitty gritties and stuff like that? How would you want somebody to use your story because you're a great example of somebody who's built their own brand, created using their own identity. You know you've gone and followed your own ethics your own habits your own identity without taking the cheats way out or the fast back and you know you're authentic throughout everything you do mm-hmm. how do you want people listening to take this and use your story as inspiration to be more than a survival guide for them but to be actually an inspiration to start their own journey to find their own authentic path i know it's a big well, question I wanna, but i would want to tell obviously a cautionary tale first because when you do something well, outwardly, you also make it look like it's easy. But it's mm. far, far, far from easy. It's just that you do it well. You, you understand there's a massive difference. So, you know, someone, uh, you know, I, I never want to feel that I've inspired someone 
to follow me down this path that is uh, basically, uh, you know, walking down a very short path to a very firm punch in the face, you know, because the punch in the face is coming. I've been getting punched in the face for 20 years. I just keep standing up. You know? um, and, and that's what, and that's what this world is like. That's what brand building is like. That's what piloting your own business against, you know, not to sound corny, but against the odds, really. I mean, I don't think this ever should have succeeded. And I, and I use the word success with caution, you know, but, um, uh, our brands, our brand success actually defies like the, the paper metrics. Right. And, and which is a testament to the organic power and the organic potency of our brand. By you've created something that's not just a brand, it's a community. It's a, I don't know, it's almost like a, its own species. It's its own kind of organic ecosystem. It is its own organism for sure. That is without question, without question. It, it's like something that, you know, you, you don't even look like you, you were trying it. And I, I, I completely appreciate what you're saying is like, everybody thinks they can do it because they've listened to podcasts and stuff like that. I mean, what tips would you give to somebody who is starting out on their own journey? What, and if you look back, are there sort of key things that you think like cautionary tales or things that you think people need to know about being an entrepreneur, being creating their own journey, their own path? I think that the key element, the key element and most critical is that you set your sights on where you want to get to and you never stop and you never look back and the path will develop underneath your feet as you move forward. You have to, you have to basically dig in, dedicate yourself, start swinging and never stop ever. And every time you got to remember, every time you stop to take a break, which is human and I believe healthy and necessary, and you should never deprive yourself of rest, whether it be, I mean, to an extent, physical, psychological, whatever it is, when you know that you are at a, at a, a giving point that you, you know, it's part of the overarching mission to provide self-care in a way so that you can continue the fight and continue to be effective, you know, but you also have to remember that every time you stop and you put your hand on that, you know, um, that railing and take a breather that someone else is blowing right past you. And while you're sleeping, someone else is working, you know, and, uh, you gotta keep yourself on your toes a little bit there, I guess. Uh, it's that's yeah, very good advice because a lot of times people say no you can do it you can just get on it and i think people would need to remember that is we all get the same 24 hours the people who are successful are the ones who are actually putting in the effort and you know talent can only go so far hard work is where it matters and i think i lost that in my own life a few times like i kind of thought oh God, i'm good at it and i came into interviews half-hazard and uh, i did terrible and other times, interviews I didn't think were that great ended up being the sort of top list. So I can imagine what the the kind of effort that's needed to go into this at a daily basis, building and forging networks, selling, marketing, just it must be phenomenal the amount of work to do. And I think that's when you, people kind of know 
if you're an entrepreneur, if you're an employee, etc. Mm-hmm. What do you want people to take from this? You know, I mean, is there a kind of like I know you're probably sort of fed up of answering the like. What do you want your evolution of this to be? Is this just a day in, day out? You're just seeing how it goes. You're kind of evolving it as it as it comes, or do you have a overall mission that you're kind of aiming for? I mean, my mission is to uh, is to build our branded business across all categories to a level of of health um, that would be enticing for um, a, a like minded um, larger scale company in that space that would share a vision with us to partner and take it the rest of the way in a way that we cannot as a craft and self-funded company global you go, domination it's the first time i've seen cigars in ages and i've been thinking i could smoke i don't smoke but i was looking at them and going you know what <laughs> like the, the branding's cool like i was getting into it i was like yeah this is it this is i like i was looking at the gin going i wonder if i can get that in the uk you know what i mean it's like two minutes in and i was already feeling part of your kind of your herd your community well, uh, you may not have to hold your breath for long because the, the goal is to uh, the goal is to bring our gin across the pond there sooner than later. What's the best way to connect and you know kind of follow along on this amazing journey you're on? I think uh, definitely first and foremost through our social media, um, you know, Room One Hundred One brand, Room One Hundred One cigars, Room One Hundred One gin. Uh, the Shadow Army, which you will find if you dabble about in these areas, is a uh, uh, a small yet vibrant community of like-minded brand enthusiasts that, quite frankly, like to get weird and 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 share experiences and whatnot. So, um, I would definitely I would definitely look to connect that way. And of course, you can find me, uh, Matt Booth, uh, on my personal social, which I am kind of the ever-present nucleus and. Um, the ever-present connector between all these categories. So I'd go onto the Instagram and I'd dial us up and that'll pipe you through to websites, shopping experiences, and all things necessary to maintain a viable connection with the Room 101 brand. Well, that's it for another week. And thank you for listening. It's now time to take what you've learned and use it to develop and enhance your life with the key points mentioned. Listen, try it, embrace it, use it, and crush it. Now's your time to hit that next level in your life. If you liked this episode, then please leave a comment on the show notes or a review of the show on your podcast platform. Everything helps evolve the show. Until next week, keep seeking the next level in your life.